Good morning, good morning, good morning. So I'm Erica Allen. I'm one of the pastors here at Horizon. And this morning, we are going to have something we've never had before. We're going to have a guest speaker with us this morning. So, yes, that's so exciting. First time ever. Um, it's so exciting to be part of a new church and do all these first things. Um, I love it. And I love doing it with you all. You're awesome. And I'm so glad we're shining light and igniting change together. Thank you, thank you, thank you for believing in this vision and for being here this morning. I know. I, I live out there in the real world, and I know what a sacrifice it is to be here for an hour on Sunday morning, so thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. But this morning, our guest speaker is Bishop Ken Carter. So our church is connected to and supported by the United Methodist Church, and in the United Methodist Church structure, we have a bishop who appoints pastors to areas to serve. And so Bishop Carter, two years ago, many of you know the story of Chris and I. We were praying and longing for a church that would rise up from the ground and reach our friends. And we got a call in February, um, two and a half years ago, to ask us if we'd be interested in starting a new church in South Tampa, a place that we love, um, with people we love. And we said yes. Um, but Bishop Carter was instrumental in making sure that Chris and I were appointed here to serve in this capacity. What Bishop Carter doesn't know is that when I was in college struggling to figure out what it was I believed about Jesus and what it meant to follow Jesus, he wrote a blog every day. He was a pastor in Charlotte, North Carolina at this time, and I followed his blog and read it. So he's been a mentor to me for a long time. I don't even think <laughs> he knew that. Um, so I'm just grateful for the love and support he has provided to Chris and myself and to our family and for the leadership he provides for our church. So um, he's going to speak this, bring our message to us this morning, and we're just really I didn't tell him how to come up here, though. <laughs> sorry. Details, details. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. Um, we're just really grateful that he is able to be here with us this morning. So can y'all give him a good horizon welcome this morning? Thank you, thank, thank you, you thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, good morning. Is this picking up? Good morning. Uh, it's really a joy to be here at Horizon with Erica and Chris and you, and thank you for uh, forming a new community. I'm going to share a little bit uh, in a few minutes. This will be very informal about an experience in my own life uh, of a new church. Uh, but thank you for making worship a part of your life, and thank you for the children who are also being formed in this community. And thank you, uh, Chris and Erica. I wanted to read uh, a passage of scripture that... Uh, that may be one of the two stories that Jesus told uh, that is remembered the best. Uh, and just to reflect on it in a very simple way. This is the passage of the Good Samaritan, uh, which is found in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 and following. A lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life. He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read this? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, you've given the right answer. Do this and you'll live. But wanting to justify himself, 
he asked Jesus, the lawyer asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus told a very simple and memorable story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two days' wages, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him, and when I come back, I'll give you anything that you've paid that you need. So which one of these do you think, Jesus said, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, I want to reflect on this very simple uh, story of Jesus, tell a couple of other stories, and Imagine what this story might mean to a church in, its er, in the early stages of its uh, birth. Uh, as I said, this is a story that many Christians know. It's a story that many people outside our faith know. Uh, it's prompted by the question, who is my neighbor, that the person asked Jesus. Uh, and Jesus sort of turns it around and says, the question is not... Uh, who is my neighbor, but who in the story is a neighbor? Not what are the limits of our love for others, but how are we being called uh, to love others? And by extension, how is the church being called to be a healing community? And so there are three characters in this story. The first one is the robber. The robber comes along and simply says, your life for me. And this is the experience where someone simply takes from someone else. Uh, they um, use someone else. They take advantage of someone else. Uh, and there's a cost to that. Uh, your life for me, what you have belongs to me. I want that. And that's violence, that's trafficking, that's rape, that's assault, uh, that's um, misconduct in workplaces. Uh, your life for me, uh, you have something that I want and I'm going to take it. And then uh, the next character is represented by the priest and the Levite. Now, the priest would be the person who wears a clergy robe, uh, who stands up on an elevated stage, uh, who does the religious rituals. Uh, the Levite would be the person who's just always 
wanting to learn more about the Bible. This would be what a Levite was, just so, someone who goes to every Bible study and just want, sort of wants to soak in the next idea about the holy book. So in the story that Jesus tells, the priest and the Levite uh, pass by on the other side. And they are saying, in a way, my life for me. My life for me. I'm not going to harm you, but I'm not going to get involved with you. I'm going to sort of stay in my silo uh, with my own life. Uh, and I'm going to pass by, as Jesus tells the story, on the other side. The third character is the Samaritan. Now, now I realize there's a little bit of a danger in even telling this story to people who know something of the scriptures. It's a little like if you've been on an airplane, when the airplane gets ready to start, uh, the steward, the stewardess, begins to say, in the event of, a, of, a, of an accident, these are the things you do. And you look around an airplane and no one is paying attention to the steward. Why is that? Because they've heard this before. They know how, they know what, where this is going. The Good Samaritan is a little bit like that. So I want to ask you just to imagine that there's something in this story that might be fresh for us today that God might say to us. So, so Jesus has a third character who is a Samaritan. Now without getting into a lot of history, when Israel divided into the northern and the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom went up to be with the Assyrians, the southern kingdom with the Babylonians, uh, and at some point much later those two kingdoms reunited uh, and everyone could come home. And that's Isaiah 40, that's Handel's Messiah, the return from the exile. But there was a group of people who went up north to Assyria. They were, they were Jewish people. And they sort of blended in and joined their lives to the Assyrians. They intermarried, they mixed their religions together. Uh, they formed something new, and it was the Samaritans. And, and the devout people of the Bible looked down on the Samaritans. They were the compromisers. So Jesus is about to tell a part of the story where the Samaritan comes along, and what does the Samaritan do? Samaritan helps the, the one who'd been robbed. And so the Samaritan, in a sense, says, my life for you. The Samaritan um, takes up the person who's been harmed, takes him to an inn, which I always thought the inn was a beautiful place for, um, a beautiful place for uh, image for the church. The church is a kind of an inn where we, when we're broken, are carried into that. Uh, and the Samaritan does all of that, takes him to the innkeeper, says, take care of him. When I return, I'll cover all the expenses for all of this. Uh, the Samaritan was saying, my life for you. And so Jesus turns the question around from 
uh, who is my neighbor to who is a neighbor? And the Samaritan is the neighbor, the most unexpected person. So I tried to think as I was reflecting on this passage recently, where have I experienced this recently? A surprising person who turned out to be a neighbor. And this was an experience I had at the end of the summer. A friend and I were in his car, and we were driving from one city to another city. We were passing through a very rural area, uh, and we had stopped at a couple of traffic lights in kind of the last small town, and now we were just in the open country. And then as we were driving along, his car, my friend's car, began to lose power. It just, something was going on. Uh, and this wasn't good. And so I knew more about this part of the state than my friend did, and he asked me, is there any place we can stop? And I said, I'm really not sure. We're kind of way out in the country. And then we drove a little while. It, it wasn't really great. And then all of a sudden this sign emerged for a turnoff into a little community. I had, did not recognize the name. And so I said to my friend, you know, this might be it. This might be our place. So we turned off and we drove a couple of miles and it was just dirt and pine trees and an occasional mailbox. And then on the right, there was a, a little thrift store and a garage right next to it. So we pulled in and we got out. Uh, we got out and there was a mechanic working on something, but he greeted us. The mechanic greeted us and my friend told him about our problem. Uh, the mechanic looked at us and I could tell what he was saying was, you're not from around here. Uh, he walked into his shop uh, and we followed him. Now in his shop, which was just open air, no air conditioning, it was summer. In his shop were all kinds of signs and posters and artifacts. And they revealed to me that there were many things about which we would differ. How we voted, refreshments, guns, wild animals, that was just a start. This person would not show up on my Facebook feed and I would not show up on his. Well, he went out to look at my friend's car. And to do this, he needed to stop doing what he was doing, what he'd been working on. It was late on a Friday afternoon. 
And it was in the heart of the summer in the deep south. It was really hot. He opened the hood of the car and he looked around. He listened to the car's motor. He went back inside to his desk and looked at his computer. We followed him inside. Then he went back outside, back into the heat. He worked with the transmission. He went back into his shop again. He came back out again. And this went on for more than an hour. It was obvious that he knew what he was doing. He knew what he was looking for. And I began to see this man in a new light. We began to talk a little, although conversation was not really his priority. I had a bag of peanuts that I had on this trip, and I asked him if he wanted some peanuts, and he said, no thanks. Well, he tried a number of things, and he was in the direct sunlight most of the time. We would get into whatever shade we could find. Finally, after a couple of hours, there was simply no solution. He had invested a lot of time in this. He had put aside what he was working on. Uh, and then he looked at us and said, uh, I'm going to get you to the nearest dealer and I'm, a call a, I'm going to call a tow truck for you. Now we had called our wives who were in another car. They'd gone shopping, so they were doing something different. And they were on the way to catch up with us. Uh, so they were on their way, and about that time they arrived. My friend gave him some money, which, which on the first couple of passes, he refused to take. But my friend persisted. And in the end, the mechanic did take it, and I can tell you he could easily have demanded a lot more money. As we drove away from there, I thought about the people I, I passed by. I thought about the communities I drive through. Sometimes they're in the middle of cities. Sometimes they're way out in rural areas. I thought about the way I judge and stereotype people. And I thought about the basic goodness in ordinary people. And I thought about later this story that Jesus told. And the question, who was a neighbor? Now that's a way of looking at this scripture. And, and in part, this is a story that's asking us, how can we be a neighbor? How can we enlarge our circle uh, of love and compassion and mercy? But, but when we do that, uh, the downside of that is that we're the ones who are in control, right? Right? 
We're the ones who are helping others. Uh, and we're used to that. Most of us here, we're, we're used to doing that. But there's more, there's more to the story uh, than that. And that is, it's not just that we're called to be the neighbor, maybe because we have skills or we have resources or we have abilities or we have privileges or we have uh, positions that allow us to do that. We're also called to listen to this story of Jesus and to imagine that sometimes we're the person uh, who needs to be helped. We're the person uh, in the ditch. And so uh, I have a friend who's a minister, a clergywoman who's a minister in the Midwest in another denomination, and her name is Lillian, Lillian Daniel. She's a great preacher and a great writer. And we've been friends for many years. Uh, and Lillian wrote something recently, and it was entitled, uh, Ditch Happens. <laughs> and uh, and it, when she wrote this really short little piece, it made me think about this scripture in a new way, and in a way I needed to think about it. Uh, Lillian said, this is a story about humility. She said, it's too convenient to aspire to be the character who has the control. It requires deeper spiritual work to relate to the one who feels abandoned in the ditch. Ditch happens. Turn to the person beside you and just say, ditch happens. <laughs> ditch happens. Uh, and she said, this, this is a story that was written for you to read from the ditchiest place in your life. And then Lillian kind of becomes honest and, and tells a little bit of her own experience. <coughs> she said, this story got real for me in midlife. She says, after spending some time in the ditch that was of my own making. She said it was excruciating to lay low and watch people walk on by. But after indulging in a bit of bitterness, she said, my perspective started to change. When a few folks did stop to help me along the way, it felt like a miracle, she said. My helpers were humble, offering private kindness without a networking agenda or a social media photo op. She says, I remember how God sent they seemed to me. And in a small way, there was something, something humbling that afternoon to be helped by someone that in my own prejudice, I might have imagined how or why would I ever need help from this person. I want to take this kind of message to uh, conclusion by sharing some of my own personal experience. Um, years ago, I, I helped to begin a new church. Uh, our children were six and three years old. They're now 
33 and 30, two girls. And we started a new United Methodist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, we met in a community college for several years. Uh, our daughters loved running around the community college and playing with the Coke machines. They just thought this was church. Uh, and we set things up every week, and we took them down every week. Uh, and we attracted an extraordinary community of people who just came from lots of different directions. Uh, my experience of a new church that was different than anything else I ever did was that there was no conflict in a new church. Uh, in a new church, I experienced that uh, if people were not on board with the vision, they were not there. Uh, the only tension was simply there was an infinite amount of work to do. Uh, and I really had, to, Chris and Erica, I just had to finally kind of have a boundary of what I could do. And then I also needed to have a boundary of how I could live life uh, alongside that. And we did. Uh, well, in the early years, and I'm actually going back to this church in December, they celebrate their 25th anniversary, uh, and I've only been back a couple of times, but I'll preach at that. We started, really, we started in Advent. Uh, we began at some point early on to write a mission statement, uh, and, uh, and so we sort of did this as a group. I didn't want it to sort of be top down, you know, my own, my own words. I wanted the words to kind of come from, from our community. Uh, and so one phrase in the mission statement, I still remember 25 years later, uh, it was that we wanted to be an expanding circle of acceptance, safety, and love. And each week and each month, we could feel our community getting more like an expanding circle. And that church, all the children would come back into the worship at the end of the worship. Uh, and we could kind of see the whole community getting larger. It was just something we did. And I remember, if I'm honest with you, I remember that I would not have chosen the word safety. Now, this is 25 years ago, before the church abuse scandals were public, before all of that. I just would not have chosen the word safety to be in our mission statement. We said it every week in worship. Um, but as I, as I came to know the people in the church, I realized many of them really were searching for a safe place. Amen? Uh, that they had been out there somewhere or maybe in the church and they had been harmed. Uh, if you live long enough, you will be harmed. People you love will be harmed. You'll do harm to other people. And we were trying to create a community that was uh, an expanding circle of acceptance, safety, and love. Uh, and I thought about... Uh, the church is an inn. The church is a place where the people who have been in the ditch are brought there. That's really what the church of Jesus Christ is. 
around that same time, a spiritual writer named Henry Nouwen wrote a book called The Wounded Healer. Uh, and so the question becomes, how can the church be a healing community? Uh, we live in an increasingly um, complicated and even violent culture. In the eight years I've been in Florida, we've experienced the death of Trayvon Martin and the Pulse murders and the Parkland shootings. And we have United Methodist churches within one or two miles of each of those uh, tragic horrors and churches that were engaged with them. And if you have children, your children are going to grow up in this culture. Uh, it can happen in schools. It can happen in movie theaters. We have church, new churches in movie theaters. It can happen uh, anywhere. And how can a new community of disciples of Jesus Christ uh, be people who are, are, not, are a healing community knowing that we all have been wounded in some way? Uh, thank you for being a part of Horizon. Uh, it takes a lot of vision and, and I will say a lot of faith and, and, and maturity uh, to, see, to, to worship uh, in, a, in a movie theater or, or a school. Amen? Uh, but you're, what I know is you are, you are here for the right reason. Uh, and I can promise you uh, this will be one of the most blessed experiences these coming years of your life because you're creating something special. You're creating an end uh, for the people who have been in the ditches uh, to be brought to, to be healed, uh, to be ignited, to be changed, and then to be sent out uh, to be the neighbor. Let's bow for prayer. God, I thank you for this community, Horizon. Uh, thank you for the privilege and freedom to worship you. Thank you for those persons who are sitting on our right and our left. Thank you for the children who are in our care. Thank you for this community. Thank you mostly for your son, Jesus Christ, uh, who has rescued us. In his name we pray. Amen.